Unwilling to ignore Iron Maiden's crimes any longer, the government tasks the armored warrior Firepower to take down the former hero. And Firepower just might win. As Jim Rhodes looks on helplessly, Tony Stark takes the beating of his life. Is this the end of Iron Man? Spoilers, it's not. I'm Eddie Webb. You can't give spoilers that early. And I'm Chris Bybee. <laughs> Today we're going to spoil the hell out of Iron Man issue 230 here on Speechless. Welcome to episode eight of Armor Wars for Speechless, where we are going through issue by issue this this amazing arc of Iron Man comics that Chris and I both love, perhaps in spite of itself. The cover for this issue alone should be on like everyone's wall as a picture. It, it is beautiful. The the sheer nineties of it. I don't care if it was made in the eighties or the seventies. That is a nineties cover, and someone w- looked into the future. With a seer and went, hmm, I wonder what the 90s are. I got it. Firepower. <laughs> and, I mean, it's it, – we talked about this last episode, but, yeah, I mean, this is interesting in the sense that it's it's almost kind of a, a liminal state. You know, um, the, it's, the, it's the long 90s of comic book era where things are getting grittier and darker and, and more over the top. Um, one of the – what I find most interesting parts of 90s in comics is that at the time and to a certain amount of people looking backward, their imagine is being dark and gritty and edgy, but they're also simultaneously extremely hyperbolic. They're, they're, it, it, it's, it's, there's no subtlety to a lot of, of 90s stuff. It's just kind of shouting to the rooftops of, look at how dark I am. <laughs> and, and it's certainly, a very simple model. You go big or you go home. Right. Absolutely. And like I say, this cover is, it's it's Iron Man with, with the bits of him being blown off. And there's a, a huge suit in the shadows. But even the shadows, you can see it's got at least five missiles on him. Uh, and it's the death of a hero on the cover. It's, it's, it's so gloriously ridiculous. But at the but- same time, it's also like an interesting endpoint to this thing we've been reading for would have been in real time of half a year of like, you know, oh Jesus, is this Tony Stark actually going to die from this? Don't, it's just not being shot. He's being shot from at least three different points by the, the shadowy cloaked figure to show how powerful that person is. Not right, one blaster, not two, but three blasters. One blaster coming from his chest, one blaster coming from his hip, and one blaster coming from... The groinal area, I guess you could say. Well, ever since, oh, I forgot the name of the vampire movie, but Danny Trejo and the codpiece cannon, <laughs> it, it's, it's a staple. I even want to say it was in Savage Dragon, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, probably lots of things were in Savage Dragon, to be fair. Well, it was a dragon, and he was pretty savage. Well, actually, spoilers for Savage Dragon, he wasn't really a dragon. He was... An alien? Question mark? But, but anyway. it takes away from the joke. It, it... I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I actually just recently read The Savage Dragon. I, like, I haven't read this, and I read up like about 150 issues, and I was like, okay, I've read that now, and moved on with my life. <laughs> All right, you're doing too much rereading of other material. You, you need to stay focused and not read anything else, so if I make a joke, you don't have actual facts to then, like, go encounter them with. 
or I could start reading more. But then that means I'd have to do more work. So, so you're encouraging me not to do research, guy who's made two games based heavily around research. Hey, it, then if anything, you should trust me when I tell you not to do all that research because it's a lot of work that will not get you the sort of kudos that you really want when you could have just easily have made a, a one-page love letter to something else. <laughs> yes, I just did a gaming drag on people because I'm feeling spicy this morning. And I'm on my third cup of coffee. Clearly, clearly. But I mean, as you can tell, we're not super eager to dive into this issue. Not because it's bad, to be honest. It's not that it's a bad issue. It's just, it's it's a fight. This is an entire issue that is more or less a fight. Um, and those are harder to talk about because it, heavily fight-based issues are more inherently visual. And so it's like, there's not much... Story to dig in. Um, we talk a little bit about the composition, and whatnot, but it, there, there's just there's just not as much to go into. But let's let's go ahead and get started. Let's let's actually start with uh, uh, Stark Wars: The Day the Hero Died. Um, it's the same uh, team as before: uh, David Michelin, uh, MD Bright, Bob Layton, uh, Janice Chiang, Bob Sharon, Mark Runwog. Um, and we start with what appears to be Iron Man. Uh, Attacking someone, we're looking through a UI, someone's kind of helmet, heads up display. Uh, and, you know, uh, reminds me of Fallout mod. Oh, really? Yeah, there were a lot of mods for uh, Fallout New Vegas and Fallout 3, and some of them mm. were very HUD focused. And it looks a little bit like one of those. Even with the, the, the bright pink? Yeah. Wow, okay. Because green is so much how I think of, of, fire, of, of uh, Fallout, but. Uh, we both realized that it's actually a training simulation um, of a man who's actually hanging from a harness from a ceiling. He's got a, a helmet on. Um, it, it honestly looks a bit like some VR stuff today in terms of, you know, uh, uh, the, the movements and how it relates to the, the visuals and whatnot. It, it, it's, it's not a million miles from how... Things like the the the, the metaverse nonsense is what got, goes on, or the PlayStation VR thing. I am so bad at names today. I don't know why. Uh, uh, but anyways, um, it looks like this is a, this is a demonstration being put on uh, by the military for uh, someone named uh, Senator Boynton, uh, and uh, done by Cord of Cord Industries. As we saw earlier, he mentioned something about Project Firepower. It turns out this is what that project is. Uh, and in the simulation, of course, he uh, defeats Iron Man and then positions himself to launch the Terminax, which is <laughs> a high-energy, low-radiation missile that's in the simulation nuked half of downtown Detroit. There, there are so many things I could say about that. But I, I, I think by this point, people know what I'm going to say. I don't have to like do it. Is it some variation of would people notice? No, it's more about like the population of Detroit that is just killed in a Marvel comic. And oh, yeah, Marvel yeah. comics then drop the Hulk in the first Hulk movie to go and destroy Harlem. And then they had a war that destroyed citizens in like an African nation. I could go on about Marvel's general disregard for black life, but at this point, 
I think well, my, my soapbox is well made. And that's fair. I mean, I, I made the joke because Detroit and a place I live near Cleveland, Ohio, both have the same kind of pop culture thing of place that gets destroyed or place that is seen as a shithole colloquially, even though none of this is true uh, for people that actually live there. Um, Detroit certainly has had a lot of economic problems, same with Cleveland, um, but uh, a lot of it is due to what companies and of like have done to those areas and politicians have done to those areas. And yeah, surprisingly, I'm sure completely by random, communities of color tend to get screwed by that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's... It's it, it's interesting to kind of talk about because it is such a especially in the eighties it is such a kind of a knee jerk thing to say. Oh, you Detroit. I, I guess I could be generous as I, I've been spicy so far, but if memory serves, they also had RoboCop in Detroit. I think RoboCop yep. was probably around close to the same time. Yep, absolutely. Um, uh, digression, but um, for a a project I can't disclose, uh, I ended up doing a lot of research on Detroit because I was writing, it was set in Detroit. Um, and there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening in Detroit. Like they have like, uh, co- uh, they've taken some of these dis- abandoned areas and turned them into like co-op farms for for neighborhood farming projects and stuff like that. It's just really fascinating stuff that they're doing there. Uh, so Detroit's I'm, I'm going to tell people what your project is now because you, you said that. So Eddie's working on Transformers and it is actually all that research was for Transformers. Because there is a, a large car industry that's also there that no one knew about, actually. And all the Transformers are from those cars because they're, in fact, robots in disguise. See, you're joking, but the 2007 Transformers anime cartoon is actually set in Detroit. <laughs> it, and that it was the like, project I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like I have real facts and then I have fictional facts and I make them into jokes and they still work. And I never tell if you're joking or making an actual reference and it messes me up. Well, part of the, the, the joy that is being Chris is I have a very dry humor, unless I overly accent it. And I'm working harder so that I don't do that so Eddie can't tell what I'm joking. <laughs> because one of the things that Eddie's had a knack I've noticed for is like picking out like my jokes and my little tidbits in when we're talking and when I write them. So now I'm working harder to hide those. So he has to work harder to find them. Now it's just become this kind of Ouroboros where I start hiding jokes now to see if you can find them. <laughs> it's like pop culture landmines. <laughs> All right. But so I was excited to actually come back to this issue because I remembered Firepower mm-hmm. and the Terminex. This is like the big thing that I really remembered and a scene that we're going to get to towards the end of this issue. Mm-hmm. But what I really want to point out is that it also shows a power dynamic. Because if you look, the Senator's White the generals are white, all the workers and technicians are white, mm-hmm. and the person that is going out to the field that has to endanger themselves is a black person. Yep, Jack Taggart. Mm-hmm. And so that is also demonstrating a lot of the different racial issues and everything else through a visual medium without having to say it. Like, that is exquisite storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things they allude to in this, which pays off more in next issue, but pays off a little bit in this issue, um, is that this is, uh, Jack Taggart is someone who's not had power in his life and is now put in response before this immensely powerful suit. Uh, And it's not just kind of 
immediate side development. Whoa, I have power. Um, like when he accidentally nukes Detroit, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, won't happen again. And everyone says like, he's a good man. He'll learn from his mistakes. So, I mean, he's genuinely trying to be responsible with his power. But also, it is a suit made of missiles. I mean, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of, 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 of power, in, of military power imbalance that's offsetting the, the social power imbalance that's also happening here. So you're right. There's some interesting dynamics here that are pretty understated. Uh, and one do of the we need to that, point out go ahead. that the general is named uh, Meade? Mm -hmm. For yeah. people that may not be on the up and up, there's a fort called Fort Meade. That mm -hmm. was named for a uh, George Meade, who was a general in the Civil War. Yeah, some some of some of the allegories are. are well, I mean, it's one of those things. It, it, it's <clears> subtle <throat> unless you know the reference, and it's really obvious. But, um, but another, another interesting dynamic to this is that uh, Meade talks about how firepower is a firepower is a government project. They contracted cords to develop it, so it's a mirror of what was the originally the stark military complex dynamic. And it was positioned as something to use for soldiers in the, the quote unquote next war. Uh, and again, this is the eighties. So we're out of Vietnam uh, and the cold war has gotten a little towards hot a couple of times. So there's, well, there was very much an understanding of, okay, there's going to be a war at some point in time. It's probably going to be with Russia. We need to be ready for it. But in fact, the reason why this was developed was to go after superheroes. And they're using uh, Iron Man's vigilante behavior uh, as the excuse to trot this out and actually give it a proper field test. So what year was this dropped? Because is are we around the Gulf War? Um, it's the late 80s. Uh, okay. No, then it... We might have like precursors to it, I was saying. Okay. Yeah, no, go for it. Yeah, it's like, it's like the early 90s. So, I mean, we're. And, but I mean, uh, we probably. This is, I think, after the like Iran Contra scandal, okay. you know? So there are there are bits of pop culture that, that are signposting towards we're probably going to have a war in the near future. So it's not implausible for them to be developing anticipatory uh, material, especially in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Uh, so um, another thing it's telling is uh, Meade is talking about how they should sh shift the conflict to a sparsely populated area, not because it would murder people, but because civilian casualties would be embarrassing due to anti-government sentiments. So it's not that half of Detroit would be destroyed. It's that then the remaining people would actually be mad about it. And, and that would be, you know, mildly embarrassing for the white general. Well, it's also one of the things that for people that played, Oh, I forgot the torment game from the early two thousands where you keep dying and keep coming back as a different bird. Thank you. <clears throat> Planescape torment. And that the most evil version of the character isn't someone that's just like evil for evil's sake. It is a pragmatic version that keeps yep. making evil decisions but like justifying how they're doing it like pragmatism is a staple for like most governments in some aspect right uh, so we uh cut to stark enterprises um we have our our now traditional 
Um, Tony talks to Rhodey and they recap the events thus far. But what's interesting about this version is that um, we actually cut into Tony looking at what appears to be an empty liquor bottle. And a storyline that we haven't touched much on in this run, it comes up bits and pieces, but that Tony is a recovering alcoholic. He's actually been a recovering alcoholic since about the late 70s in, in real world time. Um, so uh, there, he's sitting in front, in front of a bar. And it's, a, it's a bar at his house, um, and he's going through all the things, the fact that he killed somebody in the last issue. Uh, and it's very much implied that he has been drinking, uh, but he does end it with, uh, you know, with Rhodey's like, hey, you know, there's a lot going on, but crawling into a bottle isn't going to help anything. Uh, and it is excellent that Rhodey keys in on that, right? It, it's the, Tony's not actively drinking here, but Rhodey knows about Tony's problems and is like, listen, things are bad. I know this is how you escape. Don't do it. And it turns out Tony hasn't because Tony's like, even though I never wanted to drink more, I've I've never needed one less. Uh, So he's still firmly on the road to recovery. uh, But like all addicts, he's never going to stop being an addict. He will always be fighting with this for the rest of his life. Uh, And as someone who comes from a family uh, that had alcohol, alcoholism problems, I appreciated them even taking a moment to point this out because with all the stuff that Tony Stark has gone through, him going back to drinking is a logical step. And they showed it. It's brief, but they did show it. And they also made sure to show Rhodey saying, you need to stop this. And it turns out it was, it was necessary Tony had already not do that, but I like the fact that as a friend, Jim was like, boss, you don't want to do this. I like that, but also like the fact that it implied that Tony had been there for a while staring at that bottle, mm-hmm. fighting with himself, yep. which is kind of how, from my understanding, that it works. Like, yes, that thing that you want to do, but you know that you shouldn't do. And it's not something that is, is a quick decision or not. And as you're saying, it will always come back. It's always part of you. Right. Now, I would question the wisdom of owning a bar if you're a recovering alcoholic in your private place of business. But also, as I say, as I think that, I realize that this is the 80s. And to be fair, this is still true to a degree today, where a lot of business is done over alcohol. There is a very strong alcohol culture, especially amongst uh, writers, where it is assumed that business partners will go have drinks together. And if you don't engage in that activity, you are somehow not being a good business partner. And while it's never explicitly said, it is very strongly implicit in particularly writer culture. And the other, I guess the flip side to that that's less business focused is that Tony is a playboy who is constantly bringing home dates yep. and while tony himself may not be drinking okay perhaps the people that he's bringing back to his home to his office to wherever they're engaging in their activities are drinking and he wants to make sure they can drink and that is why that is just not a bar that is an exquisitely well-stocked bar even from like the glimpse of it that we get sure is someone that is a little bit of a mixologist I need, I want some of those bottles just to fill out my own shelves. <laughs> uh, so like, that all adds to his character. And if, and if he's giving someone like a drink, he's probably having 
potentially like a juice that we'll see later. But it keeps that momentum of whatever that they're doing together and moving towards whatever outcome he's hoping for. It's funny, now that you mention it, um, I'm looking in, and they're block-colored green, so you can't tell from the colors of the alcohol, but from the shapes of the bottles, um, there's definitely a couple of whiskey bottles. It looks a couple of wine bottles, um, one with a a fat uh, bottom that might be a Cavassier bottle, um, one with kind of a rounded thing that I think might be Goldschlager's. Uh, so, I mean, and Jack Daniels I is would, kind of the one that he's sitting next to. Yeah, and I think that... If you look, there's a little box down there beside one of the fatter bottles. That is frequently how people keep like good quality scotches and something in the box so you can take it out to show it off. Right. And there's another one that's a kind of a, a, almost a can canister, which is very similar to another one that they, they'll have bottles inside of. Yeah. Uh, uh, sometimes sake is like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's also how they do Lagavulin. So as, as we're not going to get, I guess, into the whiskey cast this morning, we, <laughs> we could go on. <laughs> so... Um, uh, they go to uh, Accutech, which, uh, as a reminder, is um, uh, Zimmer's company that Tony helped set up. Uh, Zimmer is the computer specialist they've been working with off and on throughout this. Uh, and they actually pay off a plot point from like three or four issues ago, uh, not counting the Captain America ones. So like several episodes ago from our perspective of the missing bit of data that was that Tony didn't, re- didn't acquire that's still floating around somewhere. Uh, and again, this is the late 80s. The integrated internet's not really a thing here, but this is a weirdly prescient plot point because the argument is that once if the data's still out there, it could be copied onto multiple databases. And taking the data once doesn't mean the data can't come back. The internet always remembers kind of thing. Um, and so Abe develops what he calls a tape worm, which is very similar to an actual worm, which really exists now. Um, a, a bit of computer software that actually uh, goes through databases on a regular basis and continues to erase data if it stumbles across it again. Uh, and they set this up on uh, Trainscorp, which is a front company for Justin Hammer. And sure enough, uh, a, a couple of files disappeared along with the backups. Uh, so now Tony's information is is as far as he knows, completely secure because until the tapeworm is somehow discovered and removed, companies just won't be able to keep copies of any of this Stark tech in their databases. This is just the epitome of like evil on every, every level. I understand Tony's using it for the greater good, but the utter evilness of this, I cannot go and to like, comments about it's it is shocking and oh, yeah, no, I mean, like done a couple panels is just an offhanded good thing i did it hey boss i built this thing that'll do this thing for you how you want it tony stark the greatest villain of the marvel universe <laughs> i mean it, but it, it it's also interesting <clears throat> because like i i'm talking about how there's this kind of weirdly mm, prescient computer technology plot point and they're doing it in front of these massive giant screens um, and big kind of big clicky buttons that you 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 stab. I mean, so like it's 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 very much comic book '80s Kirby tech. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, like the the stuff we're talking about here isn't too far away from things like ransomware attacks, um, which which are absolutely evil. Um, uh, and you know, it the the erasing of information is now less useful than seeding false information. That's more the tactics that are used today. But 
this technology does exist on some level in 2022. Uh, so it, it's one of those moments of a comic being weirdly accurate, which, because if you think about it in the late 80s, this is complete nonsense. From the time period, in the actual moment we're looking at, it's nonsense because computers don't network this way in the in late 80s. Are you sure? I thought Al Gore had already built the internet by then. <laughs> oh, no. Al Gore <laughs> built the information highway in the 90s, Chris. <laughs> I mean, so, yes, there's, there's DARPAnet and whatnot, but corporations aren't interconnected this way. It would be, in fact, a terrible idea for corporations to be interconnected this way because they could do shit like this. <laughs> you, you, you talk about the Kirby-esque keyboards and monitors is a bad thing. I don't think and, it's bad. I'm just saying it's funny. But it's, it's sort of one of those offhanded funny, like we've moved away from that technology. I want to point out to you that I had my, my super cool high-tech squeaky keyboard and I literally replaced it with this one that makes typing noises for what I type so I can hear the clicking. And yes. I'm trying to get the biggest monitors humanly possible to attach to walls. So either I want to live in the Kirby world or the world is going back to Kirby, who was a genius, who foresaw the cycle and knew that we'd all make our way back to it. On the one hand, yes, I also have a, a, a physical keyboard for clacking noises, which drives my colleagues nuts when I'm recording and try and look stuff up. So, so there's that. Um, but the other thing is, until you've gotten to the level where you're installing technology on your walls with dials and whatnot, and actually made physically into the wall of your room, <laughs> you're not quite there yet. Life goals. Or the ceiling, for that matter. <laughs> um, but anyway, so um, we go to another test of, this is a, an actual physical test of fire of the firepower um, suit, uh, where they have two robot tanks and a pair of remote-controlled fighters. Uh, and basically we see him go through uh, some of his weapons. There's a particle cannon on his wrists. Um, there is, the, the suit weighs two tons, we find out. Um, there are surface-to-air rockets on the back, uh, and it takes him less than 12 seconds to dispatch two tanks and two planes. Uh, and that's, how much and, and then they, they're, they're, they again talk about how, um, uh, the pilot is like, he had a good time. This is the kind of power I only dreamed of back in the day. Uh, and the Senator is expressing concern that uh, he's doing this with a certain amount of, of, of relish. Uh, and it's like, well, who wouldn't frankly, well, that's it's, a big thing for pilots in general, though. Like, mm -hmm. not to, not to stereotype pilots, but we're about to stereotype pilots. Is that they're generally cocky and test pilots like double or triply so because you're getting to a situation where you are risking your life and limb every single time you step into that machine to go do whatever you're doing, right? And you just don't do that if you don't have confidence and courage in yourself, and then you elevate that with everything else. So it becomes almost like an adrenaline kick that reinforces that. And when you step out of it and you survive and you did those things, then that reinforces even that on top of it until you hit that peak. It could also be that I recently, I recently watched uh, Top Gun 2 and, and seeing Maverick do Maverick things. But oh, right, right. That is what it is to be like a pilot. Like that is part of it. It is ingrained into that very mindset. That's why people would step into it to go do it. It's thrill seeking. 
Right. And I mean, like, again, we talked before about how when you're you, – you, as a comic, you have a limited space to begin with. And this is a comic of a very long arc. There's a lot of subplots going on, so you don't have a lot of room to to kind of uh, foreshadow Killpower becoming obsessed with with his or Tagger becoming obsessed with the Killpower armor. Um, so it's a little heavy handed, but again, I think there there's some interesting dynamics here, is because Cord is completely unfazed by this. And it's like this kind of reminds me of me at my age. Uh, the senator is the one who's concerned. Um, and the military people don't seem to have any kind of comment on it. Uh, so it is interesting how the dynamic between these players are, are coming out. And there's also uh, a racist element to this. If, you, if you've studied a little bit of history at all or been associated with it, you can see that equivalently the senator constantly keeps questioning a black person that's gained any level of power. And the senator mm. represents like the ultimate equivalent of government. And right. the military is used to using black people and other people as soldiers to carry out their orders. It is indicative of history. Mm -hmm. And like those two dynamics back and forth is sort of telling. Because if there had potentially been a white pilot, you would have the senator probably not doing those same things. Right. Exactly. Uh, so, um... We cut to Tony Stark's estate, and there's a throwaway line that I love, uh, which is, uh, we meet while on the Pacific Coast where armed guards patrol Tony Stark's estate in a diligent effort to protect him from Iron Man. Tony Stark is spending money and resources to make it look like he's heavily protected against himself. That is honestly genius, right? It, it's like he, he he's... Recognize the environment he's in. He's like, okay, I, if I were genuinely not Iron Man, these are things that I would have to do. And he's doing them out. And these guys are getting the safest paycheck in the world right now. <laughs> they don't realize it. You say that. But so far to date, this is the only time we've seen these guys. And yes. you can tell it, it, is, it is peak security because one of them is smoking a cigarette. Like, right, oh, I know. That's how you know. That's how you know it's elite. Tough guy. <laughs> but... Before he had his confrontation with Cap, this wasn't a thing. But now that he's had a fight with Cap, he has security here. I don't think uh, it's part of it could be that they're protecting him from Iron Man and it's a ruse for the government. But I'll, I think it's more focused on it gives him like a uh, alert system if Cap comes because Cap will dispatch all these guys. But then that would give Tony time to put on his armor normally and not like spend a hero point to put it on in one scene. That that's fair, actually. I, I, I accept your head again. That makes a degree of sense. I love it. Like this is the best amount of planning, in my opinion, we've seen from Tony this whole comic run. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree with you. That makes sense. Uh so um Tony is getting ready to um um to what Brady says is, is plug the last hole in the dike. Um, which is figuring out where Hammer sold that missing piece of data to. Uh, and so he has to fly up to a global research station. This is a plot point from about 15 issues, perhaps about a year and a half ago. Uh, basically, he, he set up a global research station uh, and uh, AIM came in and actually uh, infiltrated the whole thing with a kind of plague that 
corrupts machinery and makes it impossible to exist in the space station without a suit like like Tony's. Uh, so neat little touch to the previous storyline, uh, but ultimately it comes down to he swaps some circuit boards uh, and he finds out to to just find the signal of his technology being used, finds out it's happened immediately, and uh, realizes he needs to be coming from. And we can see from the map it's somewhere on the east coast. Looks like it's around Tennessee-ish. Uh, and so they come back to we cut to back to Earth. Uh, and you know, Tony's like, okay, I, I, you know, I found that that glitch, Jim. We need to go. We need to go talk about that that glitch we talked about. And uh, in his office are sitting uh, Senator Boynton and General Meade, and they want to hire Tony to consult on the firepower project as they go after Iron Man. So, on the one hand, my first reaction was. Didn't we just do this with S.H.I.E.L.D. like 10 minutes ago? And the other hand, I said, I completely believe that the U.S. government does not talk to its other departments in any way, shape, or form and would completely fall for the exact same gambit again. Yes. But (laughs) you also have to realize that that was S.H.I.E.L.D. and this is just like the military. So it is unlikely S.H.I.E.L.D. has informed the military, even if they bothered to look, about their previous operations. I mean, that's fair. Um, but the Russian government told them about it, and it's also in the newspaper, but like right. government to government. Right. And, and, and the Russian government wouldn't tell the U.S. government. So, I mean, so I, I mean, I guess it's a little less snarky than I was thinking about because none of those three factions would talk to each other. But again, it is amusing that three times now, this will be the third time Tony has used, although in this case, they invited him in. He didn't insinuate himself into it, but still, it's the... I'll be the guy who consults for you. Sure. Uh, and Rhodey, like, um, it's kind of funny that the ambushers are explaining the ambush to the ambushee. So you'll just never act. And, you know, then these guys just get down the rack to the suit and everything will be fine. And Tony's like, nope, totally doing it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> It's like I, I can't rest until I've removed all vestiges of the technology, and now I, I know I know where he's at, so I can so I must well take get rid of it. And it's like, what if firepower is all this guy says he is? Is that smart? And Tony's like, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Which goes back to ego and thrill seeking. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, the, the scenario is they they take firepower, which is again a, a two ton suit. They move it out into uh, a, a, an abandoned mesa just north of a city in Arizona. So they're the middle of the desert in Arizona, uh, which is not that far. Considering remember Stark Technologies on the West Coast now, so it's not that far from California. Uh, and they just kind of plop him down there because they're like. We know this is the profile of armor that Iron Man's going after. He's going to show up. We'll just drop our guy in the middle of nowhere and wait for Iron Man to show up, which is not a terrible plan. <laughs> control the environment, you know? <laughs> yeah, but they also point out specifically for the pilot, it is an air conditioned armor. Yes. So they've thought about his comfort in advance. 
which I was impressed by. Um, so uh, Tony and Jim are ostensibly observing from a helicopter. Uh, Tony uh, does the trick again where he's rerouting his voice from his suit to make it seem like he's still in the copter even though he's actually going to be playing Iron Man. Uh, and one of the things that uh, Jim points out kind of in his own head um, is that the, the, the helicopter is actually also set up like a hospital. There's a bed here, there's blood transfusion, there's heart monitors. Uh, so Tony is clearly expecting this fight to go badly. Now, when I first read this when I was a kid, I got the reaction I think was attended, which is the, oh, this is, this is serious. You know, this is going to be a huge problem. And of course, spoiler for 10 minutes from now, he's going to need those things. But reading it now, I was like, why doesn't he always have that ready? It seems like a really useful setup to have every time you go out to fight. But to your point, as soon as you said the ego and thrill-seeking, that actually does make sense to me now because it's the – everything else, Tony was like, I know these people in some level for me. They're a Fathomous Avenger. They're friends of mine. I, I built that suit myself. I don't know what this is. So for once, I actually have to plan ahead, which you know Tony's good at thinking things through on, on an intellectual level, but not always when it comes to his own safety. Uh, so um, – Iron Man lands. He does a, a double blast on kill, uh, uh, kill power, firepower. Kill power is a different character. Um, and since since we're here, yeah, it is it oh, is yes. great to see the the encapsulation of this that I've been waiting for this whole time. But he shows up, and even in the corner, it is noon. So you know it is high noon. You've got firepower standing in a desert old west s setting waiting for his his uh, opponent to show up. And right. then you have Tony quick draw to shoot firepower. It is uh, literally yeah, yeah. an armored gunfight. And even as a kid, I, I squeed with glee. As an adult, <laughs> I snickered with glee. <laughs> also, I should, I should note, um, we haven't talked yet about, uh, we've alluded to, Firepower design, but this is the first working a really strong look we get at the suit because again I mentioned that he was standing in the in the desert myself, so we had to get a whole panel just looking at it. Um, the suit, uh, as we see, is definitely taller than Iron Man by a, by a small amount. It's not like Hulkbuster size, but it's 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 taller. Um, it's it's gray with gold accents. Uh, it's got these massive uh, guns on its arms that have tubes that go back to something on its back. Um, there are four missiles, two in each shoulder. There's a, a literally a nuke over his head. Um, he's got two big blaster things on his chest as opposed to just Iron Man's one, which makes him twice as effective at shooting one's blast. Uh, he's got um, these giant rockets on the side of his feet, uh, which look like missiles, but we actually find out a little bit later are, are about to allow him to fly. Uh, and then he has... The, the the start of the 80s where around both of his legs you have these you have a bands of these little pods that are just on the cusp of becoming pouches we're, we're, we're almost <laughs> to the leg pouches era so I said it before but you're making your point on the go how much do you think that big bad boy could lift how much could he bench how much could he bench 
Well, it's funny because like um, its strength isn't really something that comes up in this comic. Um, it's all about its ability to deploy weapons. And it's heavy because it has a lot of weapons built into it. But strength augmentation is not, aside from landing on the tanks is the only time that really comes up. And even then, it's two tons. Uh, so I'm thinking it's probably on the level of Iron Man in terms of actual just pure strength. Because we know that it like crushed a tank in its hand like it was nothing. Oh, right. I did, I did forget that part. Um, and there, so we there's have a bit coming up in a second that I, I'm going to wait for us to get to why why this will, will not be important, but tangentially associated with, because that's how I work. Fair enough. Um, uh, so he fires, double blast. His, he fires his um, uh, peat beams from his chest, which fuses to stand at the glass. He shoots mini grenades from the pods on his ribs. Um, there's sensor lock, and so he shoots two missile rockets, Onto Iron Man, uh, Iron Man uses pencil lasers from his gauntlets, which are totally a thing he's always had and weren't just made up for this comic, uh, to disrupt his tracking systems. And, uh, okay, no, now I see we get to the strength part. I, I had forgotten this part, too. Um, I, I kind of skimmed this in the morning. Um, he, Iron Man goes into a canyon and... The Stingray move. The Stingray move, right, where Stingray tried to use his maneuverability to go into a canyon and Iron Man pans his way through... Iron Man is now doing the same thing, and Firepower does the exact same move. Actually, attacks from behind, punches right through the canyon wall. Um, so, I, I, which I think still keeps him at least parity on with with Iron Man because that was again we saw that with the Stingray. So, uh, but until you said that, I, I didn't realize. Yes, it is a mirror of that fight. Um, he tries to uh, knock some rocks onto Firepower, which does no good. Uh, Arm cannons, he says, could probably take down the mountain. Um, so he uh, uses wide beam lasers. Sorry, uh, firepower uses wide beam lasers to actually start melting the rock, which is impressive. Uh, so Iron Man uses his boots to actually shoot some of the, the slag on top of him. Uh, kind of uses that as a distraction to shoulder check him, just slap the gator pack on it, and it doesn't work. And I remember when I first read this being both surprised and then immediately like, well, yes, because it's like you attacked a government institution with these things. They reverse engineer that to protect against it. It is a perfectly logical consequence that you still don't see coming. And it is just wonderfully set up. Oh, agreed. And I, I love it. And the fact that I think he also said up to this point where he could have learned something from them when they built firepower. Right. Right. Because Tony's but impressed it, by what they got put together here. But it's the next two scenes about my strength comment when we're about to do. Okay. All right. Um, so I'll get to that. Uh, so yeah. Um, uh, firepower just punches Tony, punches him through the ground, because there's only canyons. He just punches him through the wall of the canyon out into the sand. And he skids to a stop. And uh, Tony is tasting blood. He feels like his ribs are caved in. Uh, and then uh, more rockets are kind of, or grenades, it's unclear, are shot at him. Because out of all the fights we've seen Tony have with various mm -hmm. super strength people, no one has done that much damage not with like a, a beam weapon, but literally just with a punch. Uh, okay. A big O-style punch. 
and Nakim through the rock. I would I'm initially impairing almost like the strength level on firepower because he's also he gripped him and he couldn't move, he couldn't break free to be equivalent of a a non raging Hulk. Uh, Ned, let's say you say that it's like I was, I'm thinking either yeah Hulk before raging or maybe the thing. Um. Because you're, I've forgotten these moments, but you're right. They're, they're pretty subtle. It's, 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 it's when you start picking the context, you're saying you're right. I'm now definitely revising his strength upwards. Uh, but it's not, again, it's not made a big deal of, uh, uh, because again, the character name is firepower, so that they're focusing on all the different weapons. But and say, like, oh yeah, and he has super strength. But it's you're right. The super strength actually what turns the tide in this battle. And I like that because if we even go back to the very first issue. When Tony's having fun of performance, they have two tanks pulling away from Tony, and he just mm-hmm. sort of like uses his strength to pull the tanks together. Right. And that gave them a gauge of how powerful the Iron Man armor is to work from. And then they reverse engineered oh, So, like, this is yeah. the peak moment of this entire series and the brilliance that the military uses, and Tony just running headlong into everything and doing it. Because while Iron Man's a spokesman for the company, he keeps showing everything this armor can do. Like repeatedly, and it's given nothing but files and reams and reams of information. Not even stolen information, but this is what he is capable of doing. And now we can use his technology, our near limitless resources, to build this thing to destroy him. Right. No, I, I completely missed that point, but you're you're dead on. That that the because of Tony's frankly is showing off, gave them all the information they needed to build this thing to be specifically useful against Iron Man. Oh, so good. Uh, so Tony tries to fly away. His boot jets are damaged. Firepower shoots him yet again, which is the right move. Um, but he starts holding fire because uh, he realized he's moved towards um, the Stark Enterprises uh, helicopter. And Rhodey's like, Forget secret identity stuff. Get in here. And uh, Rory takes his helmet off. And and we see that like his blood coming out of Tony's mouth. Um, his chest plate is crumpled. Uh, he's, he's in really bad shape. And then uh, Rory's like, um, yeah, Iron Man's uh, taking me hostage. Yeah, that's it. Uh, d- so, hey, don't fire. And they get missile lock. And Tony's like, Acceptable losses. They're going to cut you. You need to get me back out. Uh, and so, uh, as she says, if I stay, we both die. Better help me out. Uh, and so, we cut to Iron Man flying out of the helicopter, and the the Terminex is fired from the back of kill of of kill power, and we see kill a power. huge. Uh, firepower, yeah. Ah, how do I keep on kill power? Um, kill power is a character from Marvel UK. Um, and there's a massive crack-a-cacoom. And uh, everyone gets to the shelters except for one soldier who used to be a fan of Iron Man and was kind of hoping that these things could sort it out, but it's not true. And he sees Iron Man's helmet fall to the ground, and we zoom in on it and we see that it's covered in blood. And not just the end. One soldier, not just any old soldier, but they named this soldier. Alvin Barnes. I was curious, even back then reading it, and now, because I never looked it up, is that a descendant of Bucky? Did 
Bucky have an opportunity to make descendants? I don't know. He's Winter Soldier. Who knows what he's been doing? But <laughs> the fact true. that they named him Barnes, like that seems like a, yeah. a joke, in a, either a joke or a nod to something that could have come out later. Right. And, and, and you're, you're right. It, it, it's, it's kind of almost Claremontian tactic of giving this character a backstory to make him feel like he's important. Because uh, we find out in two panels, um, uh, his name's Alan Barnes. He's a fan of Iron Man uh, since he was a kid. Um, he's 18 years old. He's a soldier. Um, and so, I mean, like, trying to humanize that, there's someone who genuinely feels for the loss of Iron Man as a hero. Uh, which is a great, it's a great moment. It's a great way to kind of sell this piece of what looks like, uh, Tony, you know, Tony Stark's death and Iron Man's death. And that's where the issue ends. So because the fact we're going to have more episodes of this, obviously the Iron Man comic goes on. So Yeah, Jim remounts up his Iron Man and takes over and Tony Stark is no more in the Marvel Universe. I kind of want that to be true honestly <laughs> um because you and i've talked about how roadie's run as iron man is is criminally underappreciated uh, uh is, it was just such a great run and i wish to do more of it but i mean he becomes more machine and that's a whole thing uh but so next issue we are going to be reading uh two three one uh which is the final chapter of armor wars and just for everyone's benefit there is also a further issue after that which is sometimes not included in armor wars sometimes is it's kind of an epilogue i like to include it because it was a very important issue for me as a kid um it helped me to realize what storytelling can do in ways that i had never thought of when i was a young child um so we're going to do that as well but next issue is the, the, la the official last issue of armor wars don't like you uh, tell that we're completionists Yes, that's also true. We're, we're, we're obsessive fanboy completions. And it also means that this ends on an even number, which is the other reason. Because nine, nine episodes is weird. Um, but anyway, if people wanted to find you online, Chris, where would they do so? Um, you can look for me on social media. Wherever I am, I'll be Darker Hue. You can come to the Darker Hue Discords. You could go to the Darker Hue website and buy something. Or you could go outside and shout to the heavens that maybe I'm flying around somewhere in the firepower armor. No! Um, you can find me uh, at pugsteady.com. It's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. Uh, you can also find me on the Darker Hue Discord. You can also find me in the Onyx Path Discord, and frankly, a lot of Discords. I'm on quite a few at this point. Um, so just, 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 just search around. Eventually, you'll find me, I'm sure, doing something ridiculous. Uh, so yeah, um, next week we will cover issue two, three, one, catch you then. Peace.